Okay, here we go. So, um, welcome everybody to tonight's Smichas um, Chavar class. So, we've been talking a lot last couple of weeks about uh, the halachas of shul and um, davening with a minion, when you have to daven with a minion, what's considered davening with a minion, where in shul you should sit, um, where, you know, the, the laws of having a mokum kavua, a special place in shul where you should sit, all of that stuff. So tonight we're going to talk a lot, a bunch of different um, small halachas connected to these ideas. Um, this is going to, the first one's going to be also connected to where in shul one should sit. So what we're going to do is we're, I'm going to share my screen so we can take a look at the Gemara, which we're going to um, take a look at first. Okay, here we go. So here's a okay. Here we go. So we're taking a look at number forty-one. This is a Gemara in Brachas, and the Gemara in Brachas says, So this is Rav saying. Some people say Rishul ben Levi. He says like this: Where do we know this halacha? that a person who davens should not have something interrupting between him and the wall. In other words, you should be facing flush against the wall. There shouldn't be anything um, in between. Shunemar, as the Pasuk says, and this is about Chizkiyah HaMelech, Chizkiyah HaMelech, Vayasev Chizkiyah, Ponov El Hakir Vayizbalo. That Chizkiyah turned his face to the wall and he davens. So here we learn that when one davens, he should have his face um, against the wall. Okay. Now, what's the reason? Why is davening against the wall something which is important? So take a look at the Me'iri. This is number 42. Me'iri, which is obviously one of the foremost, uh, one of the well-known Mepharshim on the Gemara. Me'iri says, A person who davens needs to be careful and make sure that there's nothing in between him and the wall. Why? And this is the underlying words over there. In order that his mind and his heart shouldn't be distracted. So when you're against the wall, you don't see anything else, and uh, that's the best way to stay focused. So let's um, learn this idea inside the Alter Rebbe Aruch. This is Simon Tzadik, um, 90, um, and uh, it's going to be Halacha number 20. So I'm going to share my screen to that in the Alter Rebbe Aruch, um, so we see that inside. Okay, here we go. Um... Go for it. Irvin? Well, actually, uh, Barbara's... Are you seeing it? seeing my face, huh? Oh. Yeah, okay, now. Okay. Dami by will. Nothing may intervene between a person who's starting to Esrei and the wall in front of him, as indicated by the verse, and his turned his face to the wall and prayed. An object that is fixed in place that is a large arc or small arc is not considered as intervening. Similarly, the beds in our are made to lie upon and are not normally moved about or are considered as fixtures and do not intervene. Keep going? Yeah. Only an object as high as 10 hand breaths and as wide as 4 hand breaths square is considered as intervening. A small object is not considered as intervening between the worshiper and the wall. Moreover, any object that is needed for prayer, even if it's very large, such as the table at home, which is sitter's place, is not considered as intervening. It has therefore become common for every congregant in the synagogue to have in front of him a small table, a shtender, 
on which Sidurim are placed, even though maybe ten handbreadths high and four handbreadths wide. Okay. So here we see a couple of things which are okay to have in between you. Something which is needed for davening, so like a stender, something which is set in its place, so a bench. Um, that's all fine. But a person should not have other things in between him. Now, later on, the Alter Rebbe says that a, a person is not considered something intervening. So davening behind somebody is not a problem. Um, but he, even so, mitzvah menamurfcher, it's like, a, you know, best practice to even not have that and try daven, you know, right against the wall and not even have a person um, in front of you, even though technically, um, you know, according to the Shrek Talacha, there's nothing wrong with having a person in front of you. It's still, still preferable. Um, okay, so here we, here we see that if a person does have something in between him, he should at least have a sitter um, to, with which to daven with because that will help him concentrate and not be distracted by the things or whatever's going on um, in front of him. Okay, now moving right along, we're going to look at um, a different issue. So that's the issue of having things in front of a person where you should daven, you should have got daven against the wall. Um, now we're going to discuss a little bit about um, imagery. So stuff in shul, we, you know, uh, uh, pictures or, um, you know, paintings in the shul, whether that is okay or not, um, including, there's going to be an interesting discussion, the discussion of having like figures of lions or eagles or whatever on an Aran Kodesh, if that's something which is okay or not. So let's take a look um, at uh, number 22. This is if Chaf uh, Bey is 22 in the Altar of Shekhanarach, and that is just a little further down. Um, and unless anybody else joined, let me see. Ah, oh. uh, Jeff, Jeff Flash, be able to read for us? Jeff, are you hearing us? If you're able to... Uh, he doesn't have video. Oh. oh, he just went off. Okay. Um, Urban, you're back on. 22, go for it. Okay, but well, he's connecting again. Okay, so now, oh. now I'm back. Am I on? Yes. Yes. Okay, so I'm sorry. I'm not, not technically here. All mm. right, so where am I reading? 22. 22. 22. According to the law, tapestries that are hung on synagogue walls as decorations are not considered as intervening objects. Nevertheless, it is not proper to pray in front of them, lest one gaze at their design and not focus its attention on his prayers. If it happens that one is praying in front of such tapestries, he should close his eyes. Likewise, if the synagogue walls are to be decorated with drawings, it is proper that they should not be painted at eye level, but over a man's height. For this reason, it is also not right to have pictures in prayer books, lest they distract one's attention. Very interesting. So basically, um, pictures in a shul are not, are, are not something that should be done. It's interesting that the Alter Rebbe writes, if they are to be decorated, meaning it's almost like it seems like it was something which is very common and therefore it's like it shouldn't really be done but if it's going to be done at least put it higher than a man's height um, now getting back to the, the discussion that we said in the, in, before about having an Aron Kodesh with on the Parechas you have lions and eagles and whatever it is whether that's um, okay or not so that actually has been a, a modern Machlekes 
a modern, uh, you know, something which has been debated amongst uh, the most recent um, rabbinic authorities. And we'll take a look at that um, in our source book. So let me open that up for you. Um, sorry, not here. Oh, where do we go? Sorry, right there. Okay, here we go. So we're going to take a look at the Orach um, HaShulchan. Zooming in there. You see that? This is the Orach HaShulchan, and I'll read it for you. Everyone see it? Yes. Okay, so it says like this. Obechlal, and in general, Nochen levatel kol hatziyurim shalchayis v'oifis. It would be appropriate to abolish this practice of having pictures of uh, animals and birds. Surely any pictures of people, which uh, apparently was something that was on the walls of a, of a shul. I'll tell you an interesting uh, kind of tidbit, personal tidbit, is our Chabad house currently is being run out of our house. And we made a minion for somebody who had yard site. And somebody who, a religious guy, came over to make the minion. And uh, after Davani, he, he called me, he was a little bit bothered, a little upset. And he says, Rabbi, I'm, 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 I'm a little upset. You have, you know, we were davening in the, in, the, in the living room over there. And there's a picture of the Rebbe on the living room wall. And uh, the halacha is that you're not allowed to have a picture of a human being on a shul wall. So the point was well noted, and uh, he was correct in pointing that out. Obviously, it's usually a living room. It's not usually a, a uh, shul, but uh, that's just an interesting kind of case where this was true. I don't think usually you see pictures of, of people or whatever um, in a shul, but a parechas is a, a classic example. Um, here, the Aracha Shulchan is quite strong against it. And this is Igros Moshe. You look at number 44. This is Ramosha Feinstein. He felt that it's actually not a problem. Um, we'll read it inside together as well. He says, As the minig is today, like the same minig which was in the days of the Ran, Rabbeinu Nisim. This is somebody who lived close to a thousand years ago. So this is a long-standing minig. Yeah, not, not a thousand years ago, about 800 years ago. But the point is, this is something which has been going for a long time. And even the Shulchan Aruch says, gam al Oren um, HaKodesh that we make pictures of lions on an Oren HaKodesh how's that huh? that this is a minute of having lions on the parochas this is going back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years so uh, pretty interesting and why is there a picture of, of lions so I believe that one of the explanations which is given is that it's meant to remind us of the Mishnah which says that when a person wakes up in the morning um, or in general, actually, it says Yisgaber Kari. The person's meant to, you know, uh, get himself fired up like a lion to uh, uh, win over his evil inclination. So that's why we put the lion on the parechas is meant to kind of bring out that, that message. Uh, but very interesting, this is a meaning which is going way, way back. And, um, and the, the Ramosha is defending this. So this is, this is kind of a modern day machlekes. If you look over here, this is Rabbi Vadi Yosef, the famous uh, Pesach of Eretz Yisrael, who called on Rabbonim all over to abolish this custom. He felt that it was wrong. So this has been a uh, modern-day machlekes, and uh, there's definitely room to avoid it, but at the same time, it seems that Ramosha was okay with, with it as well. So this is just something uh, interesting to note. 
It is worth noting as well that Rabbi Ashkenazi, who was a famous uh, Lubavitcher rabbi in um, Eretz Yisrael, in Israel, was told by the Rebbe in a Yechidus, in a private audience, that he should also avoid having these pictures and whatever in a shul. Um, something which I've, I've thought about in this discussion is stained glass windows. Um, because you see that in a lot of shuls, and that has, you know, the, the shvatim and whatever, and that would seem to be a problem. Um, so, not sure what to say about that, but uh, as Rebavadia ends off on this piece, if you take a look, he says, all this should be done peacefully, not make machlekes, don't make arguments, don't make fights about it, um, because the Torah's ways are peaceful. So even for those who have a problem with it, definitely shouldn't make too much of a fuss. Okay. If it's on the side walls or the back wall that ostensibly you're not looking at, is that still a problem? So... Is the whole problem, is it all related to <clears throat> when you're davening, you shouldn't have anything uh, in front of you that would be distracting through on the side or back walls? So, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking now at the, the terminology that is used. It says, it's not appropriate to pray in front of them. So maybe um, it would, if in the back, it's fine. Not sure. Not sure. We maybe have to look more deep into that particular, particular issue. Uh, but regardless, I think that pictures in general are not often put on shuls. Um, but it's a good point. Definitely a good point. But in any way, a lot of the glass, stained glass windows is in front of the shul. Right. Like I think even in Betafila, it's like that. Yes, they are. Yeah. Okay. I think the, the I think the uh, the fact that they were fifty thousand dollars each made it easier for the rabbi to justify it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Rabbi New might want to want to close down our shear here. We're <laughs> we're making too many problems. <laughs> okay, so here comes a very practical um, thing, and this is actually something that uh, I think I mentioned to you last time that when I would dive in at home as a kid. My mother would tell me not to stand by the windows and not to stand by the mirrors because davening by mirror is obviously a source of distraction. And this is the next thing that we're, we're learning about, that the Mishnah Barura says that a person should not daven in front of a mirror. And obviously because it's distracting, it also looks very strange. If a person's bowing down to his own reflection, it kind of gives off the, the notion that he's kind of bowing down to himself, which obviously is wrong. So... Um, a person should not daven by a mirror or any reflection um, of himself. Okay, now to move on to the next discussion, I'm going to share um, the English part of the Alter Rebbe again. And what we're going to be looking at is the halachas of, um, of how, um, you know, what things are a problem to daven in front of. So let's take a look at number 24. It's going to be pretty packed, even though it's a small paragraph. There's a lot of details here, so let's take a look. Number 24. Irvin, we're back to you. It looks like we've got David Western with us. Oh, David, you with us? Uh, can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Yeah, I'm on. Okay, fantastic. Can you read uh, 24 for us? No, because I'm on my iPhone and it's really small. Oh, no worries. And so I... I'm going to defer to someone else who's on a larger screen. No worries. Uh, so, Irvin, go for it. Shemona Esrei may not be recited in any place in which it is forbidden to recite the Shema. Just as for the recitation of the Shema, one must distance oneself from feces, urine, and malodor, and corpse, and the sight of nakedness. What? 
So what just, yeah, that's so, just, it's a footnote, so you can skip that. Ah, so too, must one distance himself from the, uh, for the recitation of Okay, so the halachas basically of davening um, reflect the same halachas as Shema. Now, even though we're saying specifically Shema Esrei, um, the Alter Rebbe does say elsewhere that these halachas also apply to anything that a person is doing, which is um, something which is, uh, uh, the, the Lashen that the Alter Rebbe uses is, any, any place that Hashem is, is kind of amongst us, so be it davening, be it learning, these halachas all apply that a person should not daven and a person shouldn't learn when these issues are around. So there's feces, urine, foul odor, corpse, side of nakedness, etc. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of unpack some of these details and understand what they refer to. So we're going to start with, it says, a site of nakedness. In halachic terms, that's called erva. You may have heard that term before, erva. Erva means nakedness. And... Um, what that is referring to is what um, the Alter Rebbe discusses, is certain parts of a woman's body is considered erva. Um, and of course, the, the, the idea of tzniyas, of modesty, is very important in Judaism. And therefore, um, a lack of modesty isn't a problem for saying holy uh, words of Shema and Shemona Esrei. Um, now, obviously, we're going we're gonna to discuss some of the details here. Um, I think it's important to note that some of the halachas when it comes to tzniyas are dependent on custom and which community you are part of, which community, which rav you follow. A lot of the laws of tzniyas do depend on the community one is in. So we're going to talk about the kind of um, the mainstream or ge very generally. So don't get too worked up about the details here. We're just going to focus on the general idea. Basically, there are two types of erva, if you want to call it. Um, there, or, 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 or there are certain certain things which are dependent on customs. So certain things we say, well, in one place it's usual for women to be um, uncovered, walk around uncovered, certain parts of their body, and it's not considered, um, you know, immodest. But certain parts of a woman's body are meant to be covered, and if they're not, it's all it's automatically considered um, erva. So. In halachic terms, we use this as a term of, of what we call shaykh. Um, shaykh is refers to the thigh, and that is considered erva regardless of which place and which custom. Um, that is usually regarded as being from the waist to the knee. And that's considered erva. So if that's exposed, one should not um, daven or um, do these type of things in, in, in the presence of, um, of a woman who is um, dressed that way. Um, as well, on, uh, on the arms, from the shoulder down to the elbow. That as well is considered um, part of that. Um, more, you know, more details when it comes to that. Um, again, that's kind of dependent on the community that you're in, the rabbi that you follow. But that's generally speaking that there's this um, issue of um, davening in, in a place where um, there is erva. Now, a very practical case where a rabbis deal with this all the time is by a chuppah. So often by a chuppah, or not often, but sometimes by a chuppah, the bride is not necessarily dressed fully tznias, um, the way that halacha would, would dictate. And therefore, for the rabbi who gets up to say the brachas, or even if not the rabbi, whoever's getting up to say the brachas at a chuppah, 
it is something that um, they should kind of be aware of. And so the, the proper way to go about that when saying a bracha at a chuppah or even at a, you know, at a family meal where, um, you know, one person, if a person there is not, uh, you know, properly uh, dressed, the best way to, to, is kind of like sit a little bit, um, you know, facing a little bit to the side. And that's a way to avoid that issue. And as well, also to, to close one's eyes or to kind of not to kind of look in a different direction, that works as well to take away that issue of um, tzniyas, of, of, of modesty in the place of um, holy words being, being said. Um, so that is the issue of what we call erva, the side of nakedness, which prevents one from saying um, words of Kedusha in those places. Okay, another... If the person is not visible... If the person is not visible, no problem at all. And that's actually why a mechitza is necessary, because, and if, you're, if you recall, we, we spoke about this um, when we discussed the idea of mechitza. The, part, the reason for mechitza is that the men shouldn't be able to see the woman. Uh, that's why it has to be a certain height, um, and that's, in general, the whole idea of, of, of a mechitza. Um, so, yeah, if there's a mechitza, then there's obviously no problem. It's all an issue of, of sight. Now, that actually changes for the next discussion of what we're going to talk about. And that is, we mentioned um, the idea of a foul odor, feces, etc. Um, now, these days, we, we thank God have much cleaner um, you know, environments. So, even though Halacha talks about this a lot, it's not really so practical for us today, besides for a situation where there's a baby in shul who may be... Um, you know, needs, needs change, and in such a situation, if the halacha goes as follows. So those who are able to smell um, the foul odor from this baby, so they should stop davening, stop learning, until that smell goes away, because it's not appropriate to learn or to daven when that smell is around. Um, and, but as long as the baby is not, if, if there's a baby in the room, but uh, there's no foul smell, um, and the baby is dressed, then there's no issue um, at all for, for davening and for learning. So even though you might have a, a baby in shul, and uh, you know, you're not sure if, uh, even if the baby maybe needs a change, that wouldn't be a problem for the rest of the shul to daven, because again, um, the baby's dressed, and so it's covered, and um, there's, there's no issue with, with that as well. Um, Interestingly, the, uh, the Tzemach Tzedek, famously the third Chabad Rebbe, so he says a, a quite a famous vart, a famous uh, saying. He quotes a certain custom that there was in his town, or in general, that the idea of you know, saying uh, holy words, davening and learning around immodestly dressed people was apparently becoming much more prevalent. So... The Tzemach Tzedek says that even though this has become the custom, the minhag, we know that minhag is the same letters of Gehenim. It's the same letters as uh, purgatory. In other words, not all minhags, not all customs lead us down the right path. Sometimes a minhag actually leads us down the wrong path. So what the Tzemach Tzedek is basically saying is that certain cases we have to make sure that the minhag um, is in keep with what halacha actually um, dictates is, is the right thing to do. So, it's just an interesting line. This is a famous, you might have heard that before, that minhag is the same letters of Gehenim. Sometimes the wrong minhag can actually take you uh, down the wrong path instead of, instead of the right path. Um, and you actually find that all over throughout halachic literature. You find 
different rabbis who, um, you know, would come to a new town and they would see a certain minig in the town and it's like, this doesn't seem to have any room in halacha. So sometimes they would strike it down and sometimes they would actually work very hard to find reasonings why it's okay. Um, one, one particular example that comes to mind is we all know of the idea of, of chalav Yisrael, of having milk that's milked in the presence of a Jew. And the, famously, the Hassam Sofer, who uh, was a rabbi in Pressburg in Hungary, so he writes that when he came to Pressburg in Hungary, he saw an interesting minik that they would keep chalav Yisrael. They made sure to only drink milk that was milked in the presence of a Jew, but they would make pastries with not chalav Yisrael milk. And he was... You know, he didn't understand why that would be the case, and, and he, he wanted to say it would be a problem, and he did say it would be a problem, but he came up with a reasoning why mixing the milk with something else makes it have a different, uh, you know, definition than if it's just the milk on its own. Um, and he kept, you know, the minic standing, even though he could have abolished it, but he wanted to find a reasoning for it, and he actually did. So it's kind of an interesting example where you found a, a rabbi who found a minig, which was wrong, but uh, he managed to find a way that it could stay uh, upstanding. Just by the way, this, that, that uh, halachic decision of the Chassam Sefer is still in practice today. Um, in Israel, many of the hachsherim, many of the kosher certifications, um, use this logic of the Chassam Sefer, that when milk is mixed into a batter or whatever, it becomes... Um, allowed, even if it's not Chalav Yisrael, um, that many of the chocolate powders, um, or, you know, in, in chocolates they use uh, uh, milk powder, the milk powder that's put into the chocolates is often not Chalav Yisrael milk powder. Um, and it's based on this ruling of the Chassam Sofer. So just an interesting kind of side note um, on, this, on this idea. But anyway, um, so custom plays a big role in this, what's considered, um, you know, okay, what's not okay. For example, another example in this discussion is um, head covering for a, for a woman. So we know that one of the ideas of Tineas is that women should have their hair covered. And of course, these days especially, not everybody does so, definitely not out on the street. So um, although technically um, things of Kedusha should be, um, should be said in a, in a place where things are completely Tineas, but one of the Mepharshim, one of the uh, halachic authorities said that since it's become so prevalent that people... People, uh, that women do not cover their hair, it's kind of no longer considered, um, you know, uh, immodest because everyone, uh, many, many people have it that way. And that's it's a bit of a discussion whether that is put into practice or not. This was the opinion of the Arach HaShulchan. Not everybody agrees with him. But again, you see how Minhag plays a big role in these things because, you know, kind of like what decides what is um, modest, immodest, what consider, what's considered the laws of Tineas, what falls under it. So it's definitely a discussion and uh, something that deserves more attention of its own, but I just wanted to bring up the topic here where um, the halacha talks about this idea of um, saying words of davening and learning in a place of tzniyas. Okay, one more interesting um, idea is the halacha which says that one should not kiss his child in shul, or his child, or his grandchild, whatever it is, in shul. And the reason is because shul is, is a place which is dedicated to developing a love of Hashem, 
And it's not a place where, where we express love to others. It's a place where we're focused on Hashem. And uh, that uh, type of love it belongs outside the shul. And it's obviously appropriate, but it belongs outside of shul. In shul, we, um, we focus on uh, Hashem, and therefore kissing children in shul is not something um, that should be done. Um, it's a discussion whether it's only in shul, whether it's only during davening or after davening, it's okay. And it seems like that is the halacha, that it applies only during davening and not after davening. Um, and we can take a look at that in our source book. And I'll pull it up right here. 49. So here we go. This is from a sefer called Gibbais Olam. And here he's quoting from Moshe Feinstein. So take a look at the underlying words. He says like this. The Shamati and I heard, Shesavar, that Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was of the opinion. This law, which says not to show uh, affection for um, you know, others in a shul, is only during the times of davening. Um, and he points out that this halacha is actually brought in the laws of davening and not in the laws of a shul, which seems to indicate, again, that it only applies during davening and not during shul. But after the brackets, but if it is not um, during uh, davening, mutter, it is allowed and uh, it's not a problem. So um, this idea, it seems, according to Reb Moshe Feinstein, only apply, applies during, um, uh, uh, during davening and not after davening, just in a shul. Um, and one further point is that if a child is crying or needs to be calmed down, then obviously you can calm down the child with whatever works. Um, here we're just talking about a person who's expressing his love to his child through uh, giving him a kiss in shul, um, and that's just not the place for it. Uh, but obviously to calm down a child, you're allowed to do whatever you, whatever is necessary. Um, okay, that covers um, our um, discussion for tonight. Um, any questions? Okay, good. So just to sum it up, we spoke about davening by a wall. Davening by a wall is the best place to daven because it has the least distractions. We spoke about having tapestries up in a shul and pictures and whatever. And we said it's definitely something to avoid. Um, however, having, you know, stuff on the parechas, lions, whatever, there Moshe felt that that was a long-standing minig and that would be okay. Um, and then we spoke about which things are a problem to daven in front of. We spoke about how um, you know, a child who has a dirty, a dirty diaper or a place where it smells um, is, is a problem to daven, and also in front of a person who's not dressed modestly. I'll actually just end off, since we have a couple of minutes, I'll end off with a story connected to the idea of davening in a place which is not clean and not, doesn't smell nice. Have you guys heard of the uh, famous... Reb Zusha and Reb Elimelech of Anipoli. No. No. Urban, you heard of him? I know the story. You know the story? Okay, great. <laughs> it's okay. One of my it's, it's a great story. So the story goes like this that Reb Zusha and Reb Elimelech, don't ask why, were thrown into jail. 
in Russia, whatever it was. And they're sitting in a jail, and you can understand that a Russian, a Russian jail cell is not exactly the place, place to be. So they're sitting there, and it's time to daven. So they get up to daven, and then you notice that the bathroom is conveniently located in their own jail cell. So since that is in their, their jail cell, obviously it smells really bad and doesn't look very nice either. So they realize the halacha would not allow them to daven. And so one of the brothers, whoever it was, I'm not sure if it was this show, it was Eli Melech. Irvin, you remember? No. Doesn't yes. matter. Yes, I know. Yes, I've heard this one. Okay, okay. So it, you, it doesn't matter which brother. doesn't matter right. which brother, right? It could have been either. <laughs> so said to the other, we can't daven here. And he got sad and depressed and he's crying. And the other brother says to him, why are you crying? The same God which commanded us to daven told us that when, in certain circumstances, you can't daven. And they started to dance. And they're dancing, and they're dancing, and they're dancing. And um, the guards, I might be mess, mi mixing up stories here, but the guards see that they're dancing, and they say, what's going on? And they say, I don't know, but they, they, were, they were crying about the pail of, of, of excrement, and now they're dancing around the pail of excrement. So the guard said, that's what's getting them so excited, this pail? I'm going to take it out. So he took out the pail, and now the jail was now free of, of excrement, and now they were able to daven. So everything worked out for the best. So it's a great story because it kind of brings out how um, Judaism is not about, um, you know, self-completion. Uh, it's not about, you know, checking off the list and doing as much as, you know, it's, it's really about connecting to Hashem. And whatever that means for you, whatever that means in your life, that's your job. That's your calling. It's not about uh, doing as much as the next guy. It's about doing as much as you personally can. And if that means doing it through um, work and through honest in business, then that's your mission. If it's through learning Torah with other people, then that's your mission. All of us have our calling. But the, uh, the important thing is to realize is not, it's not about... Um, you know, stacking up numbers and, 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 and doing the checklist, but it's rather it's about a connection to Hashem, whatever that looks like um, in our own lives.